didn't they? Come on, aren't you thankful for an anointing on our worship leaders in these days? Amen, I thank God for it. Hallelujah. Man, I'm so excited. I really feel like that God's gonna do something incredible here tonight. I do. I feel it. I feel it in the Holy Ghost. God talks to me a little bit. I get a little nervous when I come to a church and God hasn't talked to me yet. And, and we're here praying and then he starts talking. I'm like, oh, thank God. Now I feel a little bit more relaxed. You know, I, whoo, it don't have to be me. It's him. Amen. I thank God he shows up. I thank God it's, it's his word. I thank God that it's his spirit. I thank God that he's the one, amen, who speaks and whose word will not return to him, boy. Amen. Because when it's him doing the work, we can count on it. Amen. Aren't you thankful? Amen. Has God ever done anything good in your life? Has he ever brought you out? Has he ever delivered you? Has he ever set you free? Come on, let's worship for a moment. God, I praise you. I exalt you, Jesus. Hallelujah. It's all because of you, Lord. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful for the spirit of God. I'm so thankful for what he does in our lives. Amen. I, uh, I want to look at some scriptures tonight. Is that okay? Uh, uh, let's turn to Romans chapter one, verse seven. And wh while you're turning there, I, I, I want to give honor to brother Chuppy. Amen. North Dakota district has been good to us. And uh, I just want to give honor to him and say thank you. Amen. What a great church, amen, you guys have built here. Amen. And I, I just keep hearing all over the place people that he's worked on and, 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 and loved on and have won and just the, the great man and the great work that he's done here in this district. Man, what great apostolic leadership. I thank God, amen, for men and women that have gone before us and I don't know about you, but I didn't turn the air conditioning on. It was here when, it was on when I got here. The water was on, amen, the lights were on. Amen, we showed up and there was someone ready to take us out to eat. Amen. You don't get any more blessed than that, church, I'm telling you that. Amen, I thank God for it. And Brother Polson, thank you so much. I realize you're pastor here and, and thank you for your support. And amen, give you honor. Romans chapter one, verse seven says this to all that be in Rome beloved of God even the Romans were beloved called to be saints amen he says this grace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ now I've got a question for you. Don't, sh don't yell out answers because it's a trick question. But how many people does that look like? God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I know I'm oneness too. I, I know for a fact that Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. But when we look at verses like this, it kind of looks like that there's two, doesn't it? And so what we have here is, is a, a bit of Jewish theology that's put into action by Paul. 
And what I want to do is I want to do something that I really have a hard time doing tonight. I enjoy teaching and preaching about the oneness of God, the revelation of Almighty God. But I feel like I need to share my testimony too, which means that we're going to be here for about four or five hours. Hallelujah. I'm joking. But if I go a little long, I mean, I can't see the clock. So, And if you guys didn't know that I'm blind, surprise. <laughs> that didn't stop God from calling me. Didn't stop me from answering any either. Hallelujah. Amen. And God can do anything and he can call anybody. He can equip everyone. Amen. God's got a plan and a purpose in your life. You believe that? If you do, will you raise your hands? Put your Bibles down for a second. Let's raise your hand. God, if you need something from heaven tonight, will you ask God to come down in this place and, and talk to us and to, and to heal and to set free? Would you ask God to speak to us? Give us direction. Amen, God. Help us. Give us revelation, understanding of who you are. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. You can be seated. I'm going to talk to you about this, this idea of God come down. i got to give honor to my sweet wife. Amen. You want to stand up and say hi, Sister Kim? Isn't she gorgeous? Put, amen. I, I, when I went to Indiana Bible College, I don't know if you've, any of you have ever been there. Great school. Anyway, I, there's a lot of camaraderie. And uh, uh, I was telling one of my friends that I was engaged to be married. And he knows that I'm Jewish and that I live in Israel and that I've got dual citizenship. And he mouthed off and said, well, I guess some women will do anything to get Israeli citizenship. You believe he said that? And I, 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 I couldn't help myself and I had to clap back and just tell him, you're just mad because I'm blind and I still get better looking girls than you do. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> So you see that I'm blind and you probably got a couple of questions. One, the first question you have is, why in the world are you wearing glasses? Hallelujah. And I do it to cover and protect my eyes. It's better than wearing sunglasses. I'd be up here looking pretty cool like Ray Childs up here. Y'all would have a hard time taking me seriously, wouldn't you? And then you're probably wondering, well, how in the world does a blind man become a missionary? And I'll tell you how right up front because God stepped into my life, that's how. Amen, God came down and he set me free and he delivered me and, and uh, he placed a call on my life just like he does every single one of us. And uh, I've been in Israel now for seven years and, and I've been in a rabbi school for the last six years and I've learned some things and I've learned some things re relevant to, to Jewish theology and the oneness of God from a Jewish perspective. And so when I open it up and start teaching, everybody wants to know about it. Everybody wants to hear about it. And so that's what I want to do is just share a little bit about it tonight. Um, uh, when we talk about the revelation of God, the oneness of God, uh, in the Western part of the world, we, we usually deal with it as a polemic or an argument against Trinitarianism. And so, you know, it, it, debates are important and they're valuable but sometimes they, they, you know, just because it's a polemic, it has a, a tendency to be a bit antagonistic. And oftentimes people, you know, will focus in the New Testament, but the revelation of God is, it goes beyond the New Testament. It, it took place in the Old Testament first. 
And, and the way that I understand it, if God revealed himself in, in, the, in the Old Testament, then he should reveal himself the same way in the New Testament. If he revealed himself as God in the New Testament, well, then that same revelation should be in the Old Testament. Amen. So, uh, you know, being able to study Jewish theology has been very helpful. And, and, and I want to share a little bit of that with you tonight. Um, I've already talked to the person that's running the, the projector. And she has promised me that she's not going to let me outrun her. Amen. And if you've brought your Bibles here tonight, I really appreciate that. Please don't be offended if I don't wait for you to find it. We're going to be here all night if we do. We've got some verses to look at. Is that okay? Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. Genesis 2, verse 4 says this. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. The area that I want to focus on is this area right here where it says Lord God. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Now, if you don't know, whenever you see capital letters like that in the English translation, underneath of that is the name of God, yud heh vav heh And some people say Jehovah, but I promise you it's not Jehovah. Some people say Yahweh, but I promise you it's not Yahweh. It's a spelling, it's a tetragrammaton, and it's yud heh vav vav But when you look at this right here, when it says Lord God, the word God there is Elohim. And if I was to ask you, how many people does this look like? How many people would you say? One, pretty clear. There's only one person there. But there's something else that goes on in this verse that's very interesting. And that's the beginning part of it and the ending of it. In the beginning, it says, these are the generations of the heaven and the earth when the Lord God made the earth and the heaven. And it seems to uh, switch that around. Have you ever wondered why? No? And if you continue reading throughout the rest of chapter two, it always uses Lord God, Lord God, Lord God, whenever referring to God. In Genesis chapter three, it uses Lord God all throughout the chapter. In Genesis chapter four, it uses Lord God all throughout the chapter. But in Genesis chapter one, it only uses the word God, Elohim. Have you ever noticed that? And so if you go through and you, and you look at Genesis one very closely, it starts out, Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created uh, the heavens and the earth. And then it goes on, and, 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 and the earth was without form and void. And we continue down to verse 3, and it says, Vayomer Elohim, Yehi Or, Vayehi Or. And God said, let there be light, and then light was. And we could look at this, this chapter in its entirety and just real briefly just overview and we could see that this is where God is is creating the world and everything in it and so the text is very clear in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth which meant that God pre-existed the heavens and the earth right he pre-existed everything and then it goes on to say that the earth was without form and void darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God hovered upon the waters and so because it says spirit of God, we can conclude that God is a spirit. And then we get to verse three and it says, Vayomer Elohim, and God said. And so if we look at that, we could see that God is a God who has the ability to speak. So he's an intelligent being. And then it says, and God said, let there be light. And this is where he's expressing his desire that he wants light to be created. So God has the ability to have a wish, will, and desire and he has the ability to speak or express his wish, will, or desire. 
And so, and then it goes on to say, and then light was. And from there we can conclude that God has the ability to bring what he wishes, wills, and desires into to pass. He has the power to do what he said that he wants done. And isn't that good news? And so as we look through Genesis chapter one and we can look at God's creative processes, we can see God begin to reveal himself in all types of ways. And we can go on throughout the rest of the chapter and, and it's day two and God said, let there be a firmament. And then there was a firmament. And so God says that he wants there to be a firmament and then he makes the firmament. And so from that, we can learn that God is a God who says and God is a God who does. And even when we get down to verse four, it's interesting because, you know, there's this great conversation of what is the light? Because the light, as we know, it wasn't, it's created, it comes from the sun. And so that takes place, God creating the, the sun and the moon and the earth, um, the stars. And, 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 and he says, let that be for times and for seasons. And so if we look at it from that perspective, well, what does it mean? Let that be for times and for seasons. And so if we look at it closer, we can see that it takes about one year for the earth to orbit the sun. And according to Jewish theology, that it, because the, the, it takes the earth one year to go around the sun, that means that the sun is lord or governor of the year. And the moon, the moon takes about 28, 29 days to go around the, the earth. And for that reason, according to Jewish theology, that the, because it takes that long, takes a month, the moon is Lord or governor of the month. And when it comes to the earth uh, spinning on its axis, it takes 24 hours for the earth to spin on its axis. And for that reason, the earth is Lord and governor of the day. And so with the day and the month and the year, you can calculate all expanses of time. You can calculate decades, you can calculate centuries, you can calculate millennium. But there's one expanse of time that's not really represented on day four. And that one expanse of time is the week. And that week is, it shows in Genesis chapter two, where God himself sanctified the Shabbat, the seventh day. And because God himself sanctified the Sabbath, according to Jewish theology, that means that God himself is Lord or governor of the Shabbat. Now, why would that be important to apostolics? Because in the New Testament, Jesus said that he was the Lord of the Sabbath, right? So when he's making that statement, according to the Jewish theology, who is he claiming to be? He's claiming to be the creator of heaven and earth, isn't he? And so, you know, it's a common misconception. People say, well, well, Jesus never made the statement that he's God the Father. That's simply not true. Within the context of Judaism and Jewish theology, he said that he was God over and over and over again. In fact, that's the reason why they arrested him, beat him, and killed him. It was because of his statement that he was God manifest in the flesh. So what I want to do tonight, I've hoped I've whet your appetite enough to want to know a little bit more about Jewish theology. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at the Jewish theology in Genesis chapter uh, 1, 2, 3, and 4. We're going to look at some verses where the Jews got their theology. And we're going to look at the authors of the New Testament 
just a couple of verses, how they applied that theology to Jesus and how Jesus applied it to himself. And then I'm going to incorporate that into my testimony. All right. Are you ready? We've got to go quick. Right. So when it comes to Jewish theology, what they show is, is that that God is a, a spirit in Genesis one, that he preexisted everything, the heavens and the earth. He's a God who says, he's a God who does. He has the ability to think, he has the ability to plan. He has the ability, the, the ability to wish, will and desire and to express that wish, will and desire. And the reason why, according to Jewish theology, the reason why it uses God in Genesis chapter one, but Lord God in Genesis chapter two is because it presents the, the full revelation of, of, of God, right? And would you believe it if I told you that there is a plurality in the Godhead according to, Jew, to, to Judaism? Would you believe that? It'd be really hard to believe because everyone knows that Jews don't believe that there's more than one God. There's only one God. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. It's true. But there is a plurality in the Godhead, but it's not like two different gods and it's not three different gods. What it is, it's represented right here in Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two, because it shows that God it created the world and everything in it in Genesis chapter one. And so and if you was to stand there and watch God create the world and everything in it in Genesis chapter one, you would be standing with him in the spirit realm. But in Genesis chapter two, if you was to watch him stick his hands in the ground and form and fashion man, blow the breath of life into his nostrils, establish his covenant, plant the garden, put Adam to sleep and, and, and make the woman and bring it to him. If you was standing there watching him do that, you'd be standing in the natural realm. And so what you have is not a plurality of, of two different people, but what you have is in Genesis one, you've got the God who's all powerful who pre-existed the, the world and everything in it, who's a spirit, who dwells in the spirit realm, who dwells outside of time and space, he steps into time and space in Genesis chapter two. And he forms and fashions man. And so, and that's why in Genesis chapter two, verse four, according to Jewish theology, that's why it says these are the generations of the heavens and of the earth. Why? Because God created the heavens and then the earth. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And so what he shows, according to Genesis, to Jewish theology in Genesis chapter two, is that God dwells in the spirit realm and he made the natural realm within the context of the spirit realm. And so it shows that on the other side of this natural realm, there is a spirit realm that's greater, amen, more powerful, amen, more real, amen, than the natural. It's more, it's eternity, right? But in Genesis chapter two, God takes that supernatural realm, that spirit realm, and brings it into the natural realm with him, right? And when he comes down and steps into the natural realm, steps into time and space, and he blows the breath of life into the nostrils of man, he brings that supernatural aspect of who he is into time and space and into man himself. And so it's a beautiful concept. That's Jewish theology. And it doesn't stop there because, you know, not only did God create man and woman, establish his covenant with them, but he also created the institution of marriage. Amen. Holy matrimony. That's where that comes from. And not just that, but in Genesis chapter three, even when men made mistakes, you would think that God would show him and say, you know what? I told you, don't eat of the tree. You do. You're going to die. Now die. 
but he doesn't do that. As soon as he finds out and has this conversation, what's going on, he turns to the serpent and begins to start speaking his plan to, do the, to uh, redeem man from this great fall, this great mistake. And he tells the, the, the serpent, there's going to be, be enmity between you and the woman, her seed and your seed. And so from the very beginning, before God even deals with man and his consequences, he begins to start speaking, amen, uh, victory and power over the enemy that caused that great fall. Right? So the, this idea of Jewish theology, it isn't just that God stepped into time and space, but actually the, the word Elohim, God, doesn't just mean God. It can also mean ruler and judge. Amen. And then the name of God that... It, yud hey vav hey we talked about in Genesis 2, 3, and 4. It's also become associated with great kindness and mercy. And so, according to Jewish theology, there's these processes of nature, and nature isn't kind. Nature is not merciful, right? Yeah, a sore comes through, it just indiscriminately destroys everything. A flood comes through, it just indiscriminately destroys everything. And so nature's got laws that govern it, but when it comes to the very name of God himself, God's name is associated with mercy and kindness and love and forgiveness. And so that makes sense that if God stepped into time and space to deal with sin, that God would deal with it in a very kind and a very loving way, in a very merciful way. So it makes sense that when that fall comes in, that God would deal with the, the person who created that problem. Amen. In a much more harsher way than, than, than men who were literally deceived. And so according to Jewish theology, God isn't a God who just created man and created the world and said, okay, there you go. Good luck. His plan was to be very heavily involved in it. Amen. That God would be a part of every aspect, not just in, in, in establishing his covenant with man, not just in, in uh, giving him a job and helping him with his job, not just in, in finding him a wife and, and bringing them into holy matrimony, but even when man would make mistakes, God would be involved in that. Thank God. And thankful it's a merciful situation. Amen. Because the people should have died, but that God said, you know what? You know, there's going to be a plan here, a great redemption. And certainly there was that, right? Men were created to be eternal beings. And ultimately, we, we, we do die in our flesh. Amen. But we have the opportunity to have eternal life in our spirit. And in Genesis chapter 4, it continues because you, you see God engaging with Cain and Abel. And so some people say, well, how in the world did God and why wouldn't God stop Cain from killing Abel? And my question to you is, when's the last time God hijacked you and made you stop sinning? <clears throat> he never did. And he never did it to me either. Amen. But I'll tell you what he did do. He did talk to me. He did challenge me. He did say, hey, hold on a second. I've got something other for you. Can you? And so when we look at the story of Cain and Abel, we can see him doing the same exact thing. You know, he's talking to Cain. He tried to stop Cain from doing it. He said, listen, why is your countenance like this? Another way to say it is, why do you have this attitude? What happened? And then he goes on to say, it's not sin crouching at the door and you have the power to overcome it. And if you do, there's going to be a, roar, a reward. And so I would submit to you that God really did try to stop Cain from killing Abel, but he chose to do it anyway. Amen. And I don't know about you, but I thank God that he's willing to reach for my kids when I don't know what's going on. 
Amen. Even when they're in the process of making a big mistake, I thank God that he'll come down and talk to them and challenge them a little bit. Amen. And I don't I can count on it. I, I thank God that the promise is unto you and to your children. Right. And so we see it in Genesis chapter three and four. So this idea of the promise being unto you and to your children is not just a New Testament concept. It's a God concept. It was his plan from the very beginning. Amen. I thank God that I can count on him to reach after my kids. And when God does it and they choose not to, well, then I can't blame God. It's it's their choice. Amen. But we can count on God to reach our kids. And so just to recap very quickly, this is Jewish theology that God preexisted everything. He is an intelligent being. He, he, ha, he plans, he, he has a wish, will, and desire. He expresses it through his word. He has the power to bring his wish, will, and desire to pass. He's a God who says, he's a God who does. He's the Lord as a Shabbat, amen. He, he dwells outside of time and space, but he stepped into time and space. He formed and fashioned man, created the institution of marriage, helped us when we fall and even reaches for our kids when they want to, too. Hallelujah. That sounds apostolic to me, doesn't it? Now, this is Jewish theology. Let me be very clear. This is Jewish theology. So where did the Jews get their theology from? Okay, we're going to look at those verses. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. says this, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and I've heard their cries by reason of their taskmasters for I know their sorrows. Verse eight, and I am come down to deliver them. I love that he says that I've come down to deliver them. Let me just tell you real quick, I know that you feel like you're in bondage sometimes and I know you feel afflicted and I know you've been crying out to God and you're saying, God, do you hear me? Yes, God hears our cries. Amen. He knows our sorrows. And then even with the, 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 the Hebrew children in Egypt, amen, God said, I've come down. Why? To deliver them. Amen. So when God's coming down, he's coming down with a plan and a purpose to bring us out. Amen. That's what he wants to do. And notice what he said. He said, I've come down to deliver them. Amen. He didn't say, I sent my son. He didn't say, I sent an angel. Amen. He didn't say, he sent, he said, I have come down to deliver them. Amen. And we can count on God. Amen. We call on him, ask him to come down and step into our life, into our situation. Amen. We, God will, he'll, will bring us out. And it goes on and says this, and I'm going to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, unto a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And I realize there's more there, but we're going to stop here. But isn't it a good thing that God didn't just come down just to bring us out? Amen. He's got a place where he's trying to take us. He wants to, he wants to take us in. Amen. He's got a land flowing with milk and honey. Amen. It's a large land. I mean, it's, it's an abundant place. God's got a plan and a purpose. Amen. So he didn't just come down just to bring out. No, his plan and his will is, and what he's going to do, he's going to take us in. I've come down to deliver. There's two parts of it. Unfortunately, sometimes in church, folks think, well, God just came down, filled me with the Holy Ghost. And then, well, what's next? No, God's got way more than that. Amen. He's got a plan and a purpose. Amen. And he says it. He's going to do it. 
Exodus 19, verse 11. Exodus 19, verse 11 says this, and be ready against the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And I love that because we're, it's using this language that God's gonna come down. And so we're, we're trying to figure out where did the Jews get their theology? What were the verses? These are those verses. Amen, it's very clear. Amen, God came down. He stepped out for out of time and space into time and space. And he said he's going to do it in the sight of all the people. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's good news. Because you know what that means? That means that the revelation of God wasn't just for Moses. It wasn't just for Aaron. It wasn't just for the priesthood. No, this thing is, this is for, he's going to come down in the sight of all the people. The revelation of God is for everybody. Amen. God's got a plan and a purpose for everybody. Amen. And it didn't matter where you came from. It didn't matter. I mean, there were Egyptians that could have came. There were people from Cush that could have came. There was all kinds of people. If you wanted out of Egypt, God was going to bring you out. Amen. If you wanted a revelation of God, God was going to reveal himself to you. Amen. And if you didn't want it, you stayed there. And I hear what I'm telling you tonight. If you need something from God, if you, if you need to be brought out, amen, hear the word of God. Don't stay in Egypt he's come down to deliver and he's going to bring us up out of that and into a good land a large land a land flowing with milk and honey aren't you tired of the mess and the, the brokenness and the addiction come on somebody let God bring you out hallelujah amen he wants to reveal himself to you in the eyes of all the people Exodus 19, verse 17. It says that Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And it stood at the, they stood at the nether part of the mountain. Verse 18. And Mount Sinai was all together on a smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. He came down. In Hebrew, it's the same word, yared. It's past tense. Because the Lord came down on it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked greatly. Verse 20. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on top of the mount. And the Lord called Moses up to it. And so here in this chapter alone, it says God came down three or four times. You ever wonder why it just reiterates the same thing over and over again? And within the context of Judaism, they just say the reason why it says it, the, the Torah itself is very succinct. It doesn't make itself repetitive unless it's trying to communicate a very important point. Amen. And this is the important point that's trying to communicate. This is where God stepped into time and space in, in, in front of everybody. Amen. He didn't just do miracles behind the scenes like he did in Egypt and brought judge, uh, judgment upon the gods of Egypt. No, he came down in the sight of everybody. Amen. And, and, and here it's trying to communicate that very important point. And if we continue reading Exodus 34, Exodus 34, verse 5, says this, And he hewed two tables of stone, like unto the first. And, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up on the Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tables of stone. Exodus 5, 34, verse 5, And the Lord descended... He, 
who Yahweh, he came down in the cloud and he stood with him there and proclaimed, here's God proclaiming the name of the Lord. Verse six. Now, before we go to verse six, I just want to kind of recap some things here just to make sure that we're all on the same page. Because Exodus 19 uh, is, is, is according to, to the Jews, they say that this was the greatest revelation that has ever happened of, of God and will ever happen. They say that this is where God came down in the sight of all the people and God spoke to them. And it's true. They all heard their voice. They all heard the voice of God in Exodus chapter 20. And God says, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. And he starts laying out his commandments, his terms of the, of the covenant that he was, wanted them to enter into. And you get down to verse 18, Exodus 20, verse 18. And it says that the people stood afar off. Amen. They said that we hear the voice of God and, and how are we going to do that? We're going to die. And, and they, said, they said that they stood afar off and Moses is, is the man of God, rightly so, is compelling them. Don't do that. Amen. God's come down. He's, he's trying to prove you. Amen. He wants you to know who he is. Let me tell you something. The, the, the proving of God isn't just so that God can know who we are and so that he can trust us. I know that that happens at times, but the proving of God is most of the time, 99% of the time, is not so that to see if he can trust us, it's so we can see that we can trust him. That's what he's doing. That's what the revelation of God is. And so when God come down, he's saying, listen, God's come down to do all this so that you'll know him, so that you'll respect him, that you'll honor him. And because of that, you won't sin for all the days of your life. And Moses is trying to compel him. And the people said, now nah, we'll listen to you, but we ain't going to listen to God. And it said that they stood afar off. That's twice that it says that. And it says that Moses goes into thick darkness where God was. And I don't know about you, even if it is a dark place. Amen. If God's there, that's where I want to be. Amen. And so you have this thing that's going on there. God's come down and he's revealing himself and he's talking to the people. It doesn't get any more profound than that. And the people are rejecting it. And Moses, you know, goes up on the mountain and he's talking to God and God's talking to Moses and, and, and they're working out the terms of the covenant, what the tabernacle is going to look like. And while he's up there, the people are down there and they get a little frustrated. Well, where's Moses? Is he even, where'd he go? Is he there? Is he ever coming back? Make us gods that we can worship. And, and somehow, I mean, even Aaron, who was right there beside Moses, seeing the miraculous things of God, who watched God bring the people out with that strong arm, amen, and his mighty power, who split the Red Sea. Aaron was right there with it. Somehow he, he finds himself thinking that it's okay to take the earrings and the gold and then form a, a calf and then throw it in the fire and then say, here, this is the gods that, that brought you out. Amen. That's pretty audacious. And it goes on and says that while the people were worshiping, they got up and were dancing and, and they made sport. And that word is the same word in Hebrew, it's sahek. And it comes from the same word that, that Potiphar's wife accused Joseph of trying to do with her. And it doesn't get any more debaucherous than that. Worshiping idols and that type of mess. And you know, we would think that that would be a place after God did all of that. That God would say, you know what, I'm, I'm sick and tired of it. I'm just going to destroy him. And there's this conversation between God and Moses where that very topic comes up. And I love it because, you know, I, I look at this conversation a bit like a, a spousal spat. You ever have any spats with your husband or your wife? Probably not, y'all. I do all the time. 
you know, and I love talking to my ex-wife. And y'all, I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a little bit. Amen. But when the kids are bad, she'll call me up. You better come get your kids. But my daughter graduated high school the other day, and she's like, oh, that's my girl. All right? You ever do that? You better... And so that's what seems to be happening between God and Moses. And, 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 and God's telling Moses, oh, these are your people. I'm going to destroy them. And Moses correctly and very wisely says, no, God, these are your people. You're the one that brought them out. You're the one that brought them here. And so I don't know about you, but as a man, as in, in a man that's responsible of trying to lead people into the presence of God, Amen. It feels good that I can count on God to, to recognize, amen, these are his people. He's probably happy that I recognize that they're his people. I've got a responsibility to treat them right, amen, to love them, amen, to respect them, to give them honor, right? And, and, and so when it comes to the correcting, you know, I, I, there's times that we've got to stand up for truth and, and straighten some things out, right? We have to have a, our house that's decent in order, but, but God is a much better corrector than what we are. How do I know that? because we are back in Exodus 34. And so what Moses goes down there and deals with the people and, and then God says, hey Moses, come back up on top of the mountain, Make, bring these two tablets up with you when you come. And here's where we're at, God comes down uh, in the cloud and he stands behind, beside him and he declares the name of the Lord and we'll continue here. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God. So that's where they get this idea of the Lord God being God stepped into time and space. They got it from right here where God stepped into time and space. God proclaimed his name himself. That's where that theology comes from. I think that we ought to have a theology where God proclaims some things in our life, some things about who he is. And that's what the revelation of God is and what it does. It allows God to proclaim who he is merciful and gracious. So now we've stepped into a place where he's not just declaring his name and who he is, but he's also declaring the attributes that are associated with his name. Mercy and grace. Long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Verse 7, keeping mercy for thousands. And I love that word keeping because in Hebrew it's shomer. And what that means is that he's a guardian and a protector of mercy. If you go to Israel and you see the soldiers out on the street or you see them, you go through the, uh, you know, a gate or um, uh, a checkpoint, what they're called is they're called shomer, shomerim. They're guardians and protectors. They're guards. So that's what God's saying here. I'm a shomer of mercy. I'm a guardian and protector of mercy. Forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. And I love that because every single word in Hebrew that represents sin is represented right here in this verse. And God says, I forgive all of them. Amen. That should be good news for you. Amen. And will by no means clear the guilty. And the English here doesn't do this part here justice because what the Hebrew is actually saying is that anyone who's guilty is not going to be able to escape my mercy. That's how merciful he is. We'll continue. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and on the children's children until the third and fourth generation. Now I realize that sometimes this looks like he's going to visit the sin of the fathers upon the children and he does so with judgment. But the context here is not judgment, it's mercy. Now why is that important? 
because the promise is unto you and to your children. And so God here is saying, he's like, I'm going to visit the sins of the fathers upon the children, not with judgment, but rather with mercy. And I want to tell you something. It matters what you believe about God. Amen. It matters what you think about him. Amen. Because your decision, it matters what decision you make to follow him or not. Because the decision you make isn't just going to impact you. Amen. Hey, you, you make a decision to choose God tonight, today. Amen. Whatever that, that decision is going to overflow onto your family. It's going to overflow onto your children. It's going to overflow onto your children's children. According to this verse right here, amen, your decision tonight has the power to affect generations. Amen. Not just the people around you, amen, but generations of your family. Amen. So that's the power of the promise. It's unto you and to your children. Amen. Because God's promise right here in his mercy and his love for his people, this was his plan. It matters what you believe. And I know, I know there may be some critics that say, well, Matt, brother Matt, I don't know about that. Well, listen, in your own time, do some study on, on Numbers 14, where the spies came back from, uh, with a bad report. And, and it says that they stirred all the people up and the people was going to stone Moses and everybody else would go back to Egypt. And God's like, I'm going to destroy him. And Moses is like, wait a minute, God, you can't destroy them all as one man. And he goes through and he tells him, listen, it, 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 this is who you are. You said you're merciful. You're gracious. Amen. You're, you're a protector of mercy. You're a showmer. You're a guardian of mercy. You're a keeper of mercy. He says, you forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin. I'm quoting Numbers 14 here, not Exodus 34. And he goes on and says, amen, you visit the sins of the fathers upon the children and on your children's children. That's what it says in Numbers 14. But the reason why I'm saying it is because what Moses is doing is when God is going to destroy everybody, he says, you can't do that. Why? Because you're merciful. You're a loving God. You're a merciful God. You're a showman of mercy. You can't do that. You said you was going to visit the sins of the fathers upon the children and the children's children. And God says, you know what? I, 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 I agree. Yeah, people are pardoned according to your word. And then he goes on and says that the whole earth is going to be full of my glory. And then you know what he says? He said, listen, the parents are going to die, but the kids, they'll live. I'm going to take them in. Amen. I'm going to fulfill the word that I've spoken over them. Amen. While they were still in the womb. Amen. God's got a plan and he's, his, he's merciful and he's kind and he's loving. And he wants us to know that that's who he is. That's what the revelation of God is. And what Moses is doing, he's taking that very revelation that God revealed about himself and he's putting it back in God's corner. He's putting it back in his lap and saying, wait a minute, God, this is not who you are. You're a good God. You're a kind God. And I need you to think about that. I need you to, to stop what you're saying you're going to do. And God does it. That's what the revelation of God does. It has the power and the ability to turn back judgment in your life. It has the power and the ability to turn back judgment in your children's life. It's got the power and the ability to turn back judgment in your community's life. It has the power and the ability to turn back judgment in the entire world. That's what the revelation of God is. That's what it does. That's why we've got to have it that's what an intercessor does he's taking that revelation and putting it back on God and look he'll continue verse 8 and after God reveals all this greatness of who he is 
It says that Moses makes haste and he bows his head toward the earth and he worshiped. And let me remind you, Moses never bowed down and worshiped at the, at the burning bush. When God sent him in and did all those miracles, Moses never bowed down and worshiped. When he seen the Red Sea split and they were over there singing, that'd have been a good time to bow and worship, but Moses didn't do it. When God came down on the mountain the first time, that'd have been a great time to give God some honor and bow down and worship, but he didn't do it. But after the people made the big mistake, after the people, you know, just completely just rejected God and was gonna go back into Egypt and all, when God came down in the midst of that and said, hold on a second, I want you to know I'm a good God, I'm a loving God, I'm a gracious God, I'm full of truth. And I'm a forgiver. I forgive all these sins. Amen. You remember, Moses, what I said to you at the burning bush. I said, I've come down to, to bring them out. But I didn't just say that. I've come down to, to take them in. And that's what I'm going to do. And when Moses gets this revelation, he really understands who God is for himself. Because God revealed it about himself to Moses. The response was that Moses made haste and he bowed his head towards the earth and he worshiped. Right response, by the way. And that's the power of the revelation of God. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we live the life that we live, a life of sacrifice, because we know that it's the presence of God. It's the spirit of God. If we could just get into the presence of God, if God was to start moving and touching, amen, he has the ability to touch hearts. He has the ability to correct things. He has the ability just to show mercy in ways we wouldn't normally want, we wouldn't normally expect, but he does it anyway. Times when we don't deserve it, he just shows his love, his kindness, and his mercy and he restores, amen, and that's what it says in the New Testament. Paul makes it very clear that it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance, right? That's what the revelation of God does. That's why we seek after it so much. And you know, if you've been involved in, in ministry in any length of time, you could spit and yell and shout and Bible study till you're blue in the face. And spend 20 years trying to convince somebody to do something for God. And they never do. But when God shows up and reveals himself in just an instant, he brings that heart into subjection. He brings that heart into submission. And it's a willing. Right? It's a willing. And then people can't, I have to, I've got to bow down. I've got, I've got to get rid of this. I've got to get rid of that. And, and they leave all this stuff. Why? Because they've got a revelation of God. God's touched them. Amen. God's spoken to them. God's setting some things free. Amen. It's the mercy and kindness of God. That's what the revelation of God is. And that's the power of the revelation of God in your life and in your family. We've got to have a revelation of Almighty God. The power is too much and it's too valuable. It's too necessary not to have it. Man, if we could just lead people into the presence of God. So the Jews say that when Moses and God came down on the mountain in Exodus 19, that that was the greatest revelation that there was and there will be. The problem is, is that they missed it because God came down in the burning bush. God came down on the mountain the second time. God came down in the tabernacle and in the temple. And so we're still dealing with these verses. 
Where did the Jews get their theology of God stepping into time and space and his mercy? This is where they get it from. But the revelation of God, I'm sorry, is not a static event. It wasn't just a one-time thing. It was a continual thing. How do we know? Because Moses wasn't the only one who had it. Joshua had it too. Not just that, but even David had it. And if we look at 2 Samuel 22, 2 Samuel 22, verse 10, it says this. David, David is on, the, on, the, uh, on his deathbed. He's getting ready to pass, and he's giving God honor and praise and giving him credit for where God had brought him from a little lowly shepherd boy to being the king of Israel. And here he's quoting this verse. He bowed the heavens also and came down. And darkness was under his feet. And so here David's got that revel same revelation that Moses did. This shows that, the, that the, the revelation of God was not a static event that just took place in the book of Exodus or Numbers. God came down and he continued to come down. Psalms 18 verse 9. Psalms 18 verse 9 says this. He bowed the heavens also and came down and darkness was under his feet. And you're probably thinking, well, Brother Matt, you just read that verse. I know. I mean, because this psalm was at a time when, when David needed God, when David was surrounded and David was in trouble and he's calling upon God and he's saying, you know, God, where are you at? I need you. And here's what he said. He said, God came down. Darkness was under his feet. Amen. He bowed the heavens also. He came down and darkness was around. He, lightning and, 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 and thunders. You know, he's telling God came down and stepped into my situation. And, and when he's out on his deathbed in Samuel 22 and he's giving honor to God, he's singing this very psalm. Why? Because it's the revelation of God that brought David from where he was at. Amen. It was the revelation of God that allowed David to trust in God when he was fighting lions and when he was fighting bears. It was his trust in the, in the revelation of God when he took on Goliath right? It was his trust in God when, when he was anointed king and didn't know how this was all going to work out, but he chose to follow God and stay in his lane the whole time. It was his revelation of God that kept him the whole time he was being hunted down like an animal from Saul and somebody that, who, who was supposed to love him, someone who was supposed to, to honor him and someone that was supposed to protect him, but he became hunted by this guy. And it was the revelation of God that kept him. And even when Saul past. I mean, it was the revelation of God that kept David humble. It kept him respecting and honoring the man of God. It, it kept him, amen, and, and took him to a place where he became king and he united Israel, amen. He brought the presence of God into, into Jerusalem. That was the revelation of God that made him who he was. God came down. He stepped into this situation. Second Chronicles 7 verse 1, it says this, 2 Chronicles 7 verse 1, Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. Verse 3, And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down, and the glory of the Lord upon the house. They bowed themselves with their faces to the ground and upon the pavement and praised the Lord saying, he is good and his mercy is forever. Paraphrasing that last part. 
Here's the point, what I'm trying to make is that David wasn't the only one who had the revelation. Amen, Solomon got the same revelation. Amen, and it was done inside of all the children of Israel. Amen, so this thing <clears throat> isn't necessarily a private thing, it's a very public thing. Amen, God came down, and, and not just in David's life, but in Solomon's as well. Why is that important? I'll tell you why, because the promise is unto you and to your, amen, aren't you thankful? Amen, God's got a plan for your kids. Amen, it matters what you believe. It matters what you, matters how you live. Amen, it matters that you teach them and say, hold on a second. God's got a plan for you, Solomon. You're gonna build the house. The call of God matters on your life and on your children's life. The revelation is the same. And we could look at verses, a ton of them, over and over again. But how did, for the sake of time, I want to look at uh, verses in the New Testament, how the authors of the New Testament applied this to Jesus. John chapter one, verse one says this, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God, verse two. The same was in the beginning with God, verse three, all things were made by him and without him there wasn't anything that was made that was made. What's John saying? He's saying that his word was God. He's saying it was God. There wasn't anything that was made. He's the creator. You get down to verse 14. It says this, and the word was made or became flesh and dwelt among us. And so what he's saying is this word, which was God, which was the creator, stepped into time and space, became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt, it comes from the, the word Shekinah, you know that word Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God. But the Shekinah glory of God, do you know what that means? It, it, the Shekinah is a noun, it's a dwelling place. And it comes from the verb Lishkain, to dwell. And, 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 and in fact, in the temple or in the tabernacle, the tabernacle in the Old Testament, do you know what it's called in Hebrew? It's called a Mishkan from the word or verb Lishkain from the noun Shekinah. That's what the word tabernacle is, it's Mishkan. Why? Because that was the dwelling place of Almighty God. So God didn't just come down on the tabernacle, or come down on the mountain, he came down in the tabernacle. And because he came down in that tent, that tent became the dwelling place of Almighty God on earth. And, and because of that, they call it the Mishkan, the, the tent or the dwelling place of Almighty God. And so that same thing, we read it in, 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 in Second Chronicles, God came down in the temple same idea and here john is taking that same idea and applying it to jesus this word which was god which was the creator of the world and everything in it he stepped into time and space he he became flesh and he he dwelt he lishkane he, he he the shekinah god he dwelt among us so understanding that little bit of jewish theology helps bring out an awareness of that verse that's quite beautiful and if you wonder, did Jesus say that he was ever considered to be the house of God? The answer is yes. John 151, he says, if you, talking to Philip, if you were, thought that that was cool, you're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, which is a reference to Jacob. Jacob seen the ladder, God standing at the top of it, angels ascending and descending. When he woke up, he found the rock, anointed it, and he called it Bethel. You know what Bethel means? House of God. And so here Jesus, and, and even in, in John chapter two, you know, Jesus is saying, destroy this body, 
or this temple, excuse me, destroy this temple in three days I'll raise it up again. And John said he was talking about his body. So he's using the same illustration that just as God came down, amen, in the Old Testament, here he came down, stepped into time and space in the New Testament. And his name is Jesus. I was in, I was in college in, in seminary, and I wrote my paper on the oneness of God. It was a Trinitarian seminary. And uh, my advisor had one question that he wouldn't tell anybody. And I wrote a thesis and I had to defend it in front of all these PhDs from Princeton and Harvard and places around the world. And there were kids there because I was so oneness and telling them they were all going to hell. And, you know, I didn't know any better, just having a little fun. And, but, man, they were really excited to watch these, uh, these doctors give it to the blind kid. They, they wanted me to be spanked. <laughs> and so we go through and we, we defend it. And then it came time for my advisor to ask the question. And he says, Matt. Was Jesus God? And I said, absolutely. He said, did Jesus die? I said, absolutely. He said, then, then God died. And I was, wow, that was the question? <laughs> and I really, you know, that verse says, don't worry about what to say because God's going to give you wisdom that they will not be able to contradict or gainsay. That moment the Lord moved upon me. And I said, that's an interesting thought. And I told him, I said, Ben, you're an Old Testament scholar. And he said, yes, I am. And he said, and I said, well, let me ask you a question. Did God dwell in the tabernacle in the temple? He said, absolutely. I said, was the tabernacle and temple ever destroyed? Of course they were. I said, did God die? And completely shut him down. Because just because the tabernacle and temple was destroyed didn't mean the spirit of God had passed. Right? And so John makes the same argument. Now, what I've been doing is I've been teaching you Jewish theology. And what I'm getting ready to argue is, is that the authors of the New Testament understood this Jewish theology and applied it to Jesus. And even Jesus applied it to himself. And you're probably wondering, well, Brother Matt, won't you get me a Jewish theologian to agree with you? If you're an academic, you want someone else other than me. Okay, hallelujah. So I've got one here. Turn to... Uh, Psalms 68 verse 17 and what we're going to do is we're going to ask Paul he's a great Jewish theologian you take his word for it Psalm 68 17 says the chariots of God are 20,000 even thousands of angels the Lord is among them as in Sinai and he's saying the Lord is among them as in Sinai what happened in Sinai God came down then he goes on to say this in the holy place well, where was the holy place? The holy place was in the tabernacle, the Mishkan, and in the, in the temple, the Beit HaMikdash, right? So he's saying that the Lord is among them as in Sinai and as in the, in the holy place. Verse 18, thou hast ascended on high. Now beware, because he's saying he, he was with them, among them, and he was uh, on Sinai and in the holy place. That means that he's came down. Now the psalmist is saying that he's ascended on high. Not only did he come down, but now he's going back up. And when he does, thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men. Yea, for the rebellious also. That the Lord God might dwell among them. Where at? Among the rebellious. Right? Verse 18, or verse 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits. 
even the God of our salvation. Okay, so why did I quote this verse? Because Paul uses it in Ephesians 4, 5. We could probably all quote this verse, but I promise you after today, you're gonna look at it from a very different perspective. Ephesians chapter four, verse five says this. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God, Father of all, who's above all, through all, and in you all. Verse seven. But unto everyone is given us, is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Verse eight. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. So he's quoting that Psalm 68. And he's asking that question. Now that he ascended, now that he went up, what a, that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. Continue. Verse 10. He that descended or he that came down is the same also that ascended or the one that went up. Who is he talking about? Afar above all heavens, that he might fill all things. He's talking about Jesus Christ. And he's quoting that Psalm 68. And just as God came down in Mount Sinai, just as he came down into the holy place in the tabernacle and in the temple, and he did so to dwell even among the rebellious and to lead captivity captive, that's what he did. Amen. When he brought the, 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 the Israelites out of Egypt, he led captivity captive. Right? That's what he did. And so and it says not only did he come down, but he ascended. And when he ascended, he led captivity captive. And Paul's taking that same verse and he's applying it to Jesus. That same idea. And so Paul is telling him, what is it that he, he, he went up except for he first came down? And so he's using that same language that God used about himself. I came down. He came down. Right? And he's saying that that was Jesus. What is it that he went up except for he first came down. You know what he's saying? He's saying that Jesus is not a man that went up, but he's God who came down. And there's more that we could look at, but we're really quickly running out of time. What about what Jesus said? John chapter 3, verse 13. John chapter 3, verse 13 says this, and no man has ascended up to heaven, but he who came down from heaven even the son of man, which is in heaven. So what's Jesus saying? You know, he's having a conversation with Nicodemus and Nicodemus says, you know, Jesus, we know that you are a, a, a teacher sent from God because no man doeth these things that you do except for God be with him. And, and Jesus has this great conversation about entering into the kingdom of God and, and how you do it. And you've got to be born again of the water and of the spirit. And he has this conversation and Nicodemus is kind of confused. And he's like, how in the world are these things going to be? And Jesus tells him, if you won't believe our testimony and you don't believe heaven or earthly things, how are you going to believe heavenly things? And he goes on and tells him, listen, Nicodemus, I know you think that I'm a man, amen, that I'm a teacher sent from God. But listen, I'm not a man that's going to go up into heaven. No man can go up into heaven. Listen, I'm not a man who's going up. I'm the God who came down. And he uses this language over and over again, and I'll prove it to you. John chapter 6, John chapter 6, verse 42. John chapter 6, verse 42, it says, And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, 
I came down from heaven. And so he's using that language all the time. And these are his enemies. They're the reason they, they want to kill him. This is why they want to kill him. Because he's using that very same language that only God can use. I mean, only God has the ability to come down from heaven. But here Jesus is, is using it about himself. And he's doing so in a very open way. I came down from heaven. Verse, John chapter 6, verse 51. says this, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh that I will give for the life of the world. That's who he is. Jesus is not a man who went up. He's the God who came down. He's not a second person. He's using that same Jewish theology. Amen. Just as God created the world and everything in it, Genesis 1. Amen. Who's a spirit who dwells outside of time and space. He stepped into time and space. Amen. And he came down. It's very clear. Even little kids. We were preaching last night. They wanted to do this Bible study on Monday night. And there's a little, I don't know, maybe 18-month-old, two-year-old kid. God came down. I mean, it doesn't get any more simple than that. I mean, even kids can understand it. And that's where they're taught the Shema. That's what the Shema is. It's a declaration of God stepping into time and space. And that one who steps into time and space is our God and him alone. Hallelujah. Even little kids can understand it. God came down. That's who Jesus is. And so what we're beginning to show here is that the revelation of God is not just a polemic against Trinitarianism. It's way more than that. It's way deeper than that. Amen. God's plan, his purpose, his will, his power, his mercy, his love, his grace, his kindness, all of it is everlasting. Amen. <clears throat> and so you've experienced it too. I want to show you something here. Turn to Isaiah 64 verse 1. <clears throat> I'm almost, <clears throat> don't worry, it's not COVID, I promise. Hallelujah. Isaiah 64 verse 1 says this, oh, that thou would dare rend the heavens, that thou would dare come down. This is Isaiah asking God to come down. Watch what he says here. That the mountains might flow down at your presence. You know what mountains are? Those are impossible situations. Those are things that you can't move. Those are impossible, immovable situations. And, and Isaiah has the audacity to say, God, would you rent the heavens? Would you come down? Would you, would, you, would you do so so that these mountains will flow down at your presence? I love what the psalmist said. He says that mountains melt like wax before the Lord. It matters what you believe about God. And so we come into church and, and we lift up our praises and we worship. And you can feel it. You know, when the Spirit of God settles into a place, where does it come from? It comes from above, doesn't it? Amen. And I love that. Leviticus 26 promises, if you keep my commandments, the climax of the blessings of God is God saying, I will establish my presence among you. And that's one of the ways that we know that we're right because the presence of God, amen, is among us. God comes down. He steps into our services. He steps into our life. Amen. And, and, and the Jews understood that. And at one point in time, they had the audacity, like Isaiah, God, rent the heavens. God, come down. God, step into my life and step into my situation. As when the melting fire burns, the fire that causes the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations might tremble at your presence. 
So he's not just asking God to come down and melt mountains. He's asking God, God, I want your enemies to know your name. I, I want what you're going to do to be so great that the nations are going to tremble, that everyone is going to know who you are. I'm asking you to step into this situation and reveal yourself as healer, as restorer, as, a, as, as one who's just and right. That's what the context of here is saying. And Isaiah is asking God to come down. Okay, so what's that got to do with my testimony? Can I just tell you my testimony a little bit? Was that okay teaching? How do I know? I'll tell you how I know because I haven't always been blind. I know some of you may know a little bit about my testimony, but I'm blind because I had a meth lab blow up on me when I was 20. You know, someone handed me a container that had snow on it and it blew up about 18 inches below my face. And you would think that that would be enough. I was in the hospital, I woke up blind. I was in the hospital for more than a month. You'd think that that would be enough to make me stop using, but it wasn't because I was a drug addict. Amen. And I started cooking dope as a blind guy. I ended up getting busted in Illinois because my mom called the drug task force on me. And I ended up arrested and was facing 45 years in prison. I was grateful and lucky that the judge only gave me six. But I married the girl that I was with and, you know, we were in our drug addiction and, and, and you know, I, I ended up getting out of jail and we tried to get our lives started over and we came to Indiana uh, to start over. I wanted to be a drug and alcohol counselor and my thought process was if I could cook dope blind and I could work that hard to destroy my life, what would happen if I used that energy to try to build my life and try to change it? So I was going to go to school and, and make, let God, you know, well, I don't say let God, I really have God in my life, but I wanted to do something different in my life. And so we, we came to Indiana and, and we had a couple of kids and, and uh, we were doing great, you know, none of us were getting high and, and I was even going around schools talking to kids about the hazards of using drugs and, and uh, you know, my, my life was going well. And then one day I was home alone with my kids and I hate to say it, but I'm going to be real and honest because I think it's important. I think it's important because I want you to know a couple of different things. One, I want you to know that God is a real God. I want you to know that we're real people and people have real problems. And I want you to know that God hears our cry. Amen. He's aware of our situations. He's aware of our circumstances and he still comes down. He still steps into our situations and he still does miracles. So I want you to know that that's the first thing. We're real people. We make real mistakes. That doesn't stop God from being God. Number one. Number two, if I'm not real honest with you about my, my testimony, then the problem is, is that I don't think that you'd really be able to appreciate what God had done in my life. So I want to just be a little detailed. I'm not going to spend all day going into it, but I do want to tell you my testimony and I want to just talk to you a little bit about the God of my testimony. Is that okay? So I was home alone with my kids and what I did is I sat down in a chair right next to my daughter. When I did, I sat on the bottom part of her leg. I'm really embarrassed about it, but it was an accident. We took her to the hospital and they, they diagnosed her with a, a, a fracture on her leg, but they didn't cast it. There was no swelling. They didn't splint it. They, they were never going to splint it. They said, no, it's going to heal on its own. Give her some baby Motrin and she'll be fine. Uh, but what ended up happening was, is that my kids didn't go home from the hospital that night. They went into foster care and I ended up going to jail. And what happened was I was arrested for battery on a minor and neglected dependent. And the reason why is because, you know, they, they knew that I was blind in a meth lab explosion. And they're looking at this one-month-old baby who's got these injuries, and they don't know what's going on at home. So they're doing the best they can to try to protect the baby, and rightly so. But what I didn't expect to have happen was what happened next. And that was, she goes to the orthopedic surgeon the next day, and they say that she's got a skull fracture. 
And where'd that world that come from? Well, she goes to the family doctor and he said that her leg fracture is a spiral fracture. She's got bruises and scratches on her face and that she's got a skull fracture. And I don't know how in the world she goes to different doctors at different times and her injuries get progressively worse. But I'm pretty sure that the hospital wouldn't miss a skull fracture, a spiral fracture. Well, as, 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 as time progressed, we ended up getting a paid attorney. And I remember calling home to my grandma. My grandma's told me, Matt, there's a lady across the street. She's praying for you. She said, don't take no plea bargain. God's going to do something in your life. And I didn't know what that meant. I, I wasn't conscious of God at all. I, yeah, I didn't know, do something in my life. What in the world did that mean? And so this is the first time I've ever been in trouble where I actually had a paid attorney. And so here I'm thinking that he's going to do me right. And, and we go through this process and he brings me a plea bargain. And he tells me to sign the plea bargain because there's no way that we're going to win. And the 15 to 20 years that you're going to do in prison is better than the 40 that they're trying to give you. I didn't know any better, so I signed the thing. And, and, and I didn't know. I, you know. I heard the preacher last time I was in jail. And I went to my cell and I'm like, God, if this isn't what you want to happen, don't let it. That was all my prayer was. We go to court the next day and they take the plea bargain. The judge and the prosecutor takes the plea bargain off the table and they're going to take me to trial and give me every bit of the 40 years. And the question is, why are they going to do that? And I said, you know, and he, the attorney told me, he said, listen, if you weren't guilty, you would never sign that plea bargain. I'm like, you're my attorney. You told me to do it. And as time went on, they were going to take me to trial. And, and he kept telling me, there's no way you're going to win. There's no way you're going to win. And I'll tell you exactly what we did. You know what I did? I fired that joker. And I'll tell you why. I mean, you gotta have people who believe in you. You gotta have someone in your corner who's willing to roll up their sleeves and fight for you once in a while. Someone that's willing to listen to you, try to understand what's going on. Someone who has the ability to recognize when you're telling the truth a little bit. Someone who's gonna support you. You've gotta have somebody in your life who does that. And if you don't have somebody in your life who, who will do that for you, let me just tell you right now, welcome to the church. Amen. Look around. You've got a church full of people who will love you, who will help you, who will roll up some sleeves and cook for you, help take care of your kids, who will help fight for you once in a while. Welcome to the church. And so we ended up firing him. And, and you know, as time went on, and I figured, well, what's, what's the use of keeping him anyway? You know, if, if, if he's going to be my attorney and I'm going to get found guilty, you know, if he was going to stay my attorney, I'm going to go to prison skinny. Why? Because he's got all my money. So I figure I fire him, at least I'll go to prison fat. If I'm going, I might as well go fat. And so we got rid of him and, and months go by and, 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 and it, was, it was difficult. It was. And, and the reason why it was difficult is because I wasn't guilty. I wasn't just not guilty. I was completely innocent. They were accusing me of something that I'm not even capable of doing, of, 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 of my daughter having injuries that she didn't even have. I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that, but that's the type of stuff that happens on TV. And I'm like, God, I, 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 I can't handle this. I'd do 100 years for something I did wrong because it's my nature. I'll accept responsibility for what I did, but I can't go to I'm losing my whole family. That's all I ever wanted. I grew up in jails and institutions and foster homes, and here I finally got a, a, a wife and I've got kids. That's all I ever wanted. And then now it's getting ready to be lost over something that I didn't even do. And I don't know what you would do in that situation, but I'm on the verge of suicide. And I'm like, God, I heard you wouldn't put anything more on us than what we could bear. This is too much for me. And I'm making the noose and I had a thought. Why don't you just call your wife and tell her goodbye tomorrow? 
and my kids were gonna be home because they were on, still in foster care months later. And, and, and I wanted to say goodbye to them. And I'm on the phone the next day telling my wife goodbye. I did the best I could. My 18-month-old boy didn't really understand all that I was saying, but I was telling him, I loved you. I'm sorry that I messed up. I, I don't know how this happened, but, but listen, I, I did the best that I could. And, and as I'm on the phone telling him goodbye, a couple of apostolic preachers walk through the door. They'd never been there before. Months. They'd never been there before, period. And they come and, you know, talking to them later, they said, well, I don't know. I just felt like the Lord was leading me into that place. And they came in there. And that's all they said. Does anybody need to talk? And, I, and I'm like, yeah, I do. He said, we're chaplains and we just come here to, to talk and pray with people. And I hung up the phone. I didn't even say bye to my wife. I was done at that point. I hung up the phone and I went in my cell and I told them my story. You know, and they were like, well, we don't know what happened. You know, everyone is innocent in jail. Not very sensitive. Hallelujah. But they said, listen, we don't know what happened, but we know a God who does. And if anyone can, we can't do anything for you, but, but he can. And so they laid hands on me and prayed. I wish I could say that I felt something. And I wish I could say that I walked out the next morning. It didn't work that way for me. But the thing that didn't change is that I didn't feel like I was alone anymore. Amen. And five more preachers came in looking for me. And none of them talked to each other, which was really weird. And, and they're doing Bible studies with me. They got Bible on tape. <clears throat> and I began to, to read the word of God. And, and there was a shift that began to take place. And what I, that shift was, was a consciousness. And that consciousness was, you know, I didn't know that there was a God that maybe there was, but he ain't ever done nothing for me. You know, I didn't know, you know, and, 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 and surely, you know, what can he do in this situation? But as I began to do the Bible studies and as I began to read the word of God, I saw a pattern emerge. The Bible is full of people that were afflicted, that were broken, that were surrounded, that were captive, amen, that made mistakes, amen. And they, even when they're being punished for their mistakes, amen, they had the audacity to call upon God and ask God to help them, ask God to save them. And without fail, somehow, some way, God would step into their situation. God would come down and begin to work some sort of miracle, some sort of deliverance on their behalf, some sort of restoration. And as I began to see this pattern, I'm thinking, well, God, if, if that's what Jonah did, he's in the belly of the whale and he turned to you and asked you to, to help him. Will you do that for me? And months had gone by and I'm in my jail cell and I'm crying. I'm God, you know the truth. You know what happened. I'm not even capable of this. But God, if you're really there, if you really are God, and if you really are a deliverer, if you really do, your word says that, that you declare the guilty innocent. I'm like, well, what will you do for the innocent? But if you're there, will you come down? Will you step into my city? Will you help me? And I heard an audible voice say, go get the medical records. And it freaked me out. And I got up and I'm looking around my cell and I get to a place where I realize that, that this was the voice of God. And, and I did. I went and I called my wife and, and she went and got the records. And then it becomes very clear what happened. What happened was, is that she went to the hospital. They diagnosed her with a broken leg and that was it. She went to the orthopedic surgeon the next day and, then she, and they diagnosed her with a skull fracture. But they never took any x-rays of her head. They never did any CT scans or any MRIs and even the follow-up reports. I mean, we got the x-rays that they took. There was only four of them and they were of her leg. And how in the world they diagnosed her with a skull fracture without looking at that, I had no idea, but they did. 
Then the family doctor, he wrote down, uh, writes down in his report the date and the time and the, and the caseworker who was doing the investigation. And he tells her, I never, I never looked at the x-rays. I only went by what the foster parent was saying. And so I had these doctors writing reports on injuries that she never had based upon what a foster parent. And later on, we found out that that foster parent was really working hard to try to adopt our kids. And she went to the doctor and was lying and the caseworker was right there with it. How do we know that the caseworker was right there with it? Because she wrote down, the doctor wrote down the time and the date. And we got the, 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 the discovery from the prosecutor's office and the one who turned his reports over was the caseworker. And we were able to show that she knew that he never looked at the x-rays for two days. And she still turned over his reports like they were golden anyway. And so as time goes on, we end up getting a public defender. Public defender sends all the records to Fort Wayne to uh, pediatric uh, ortho orthopedic surgeons. They come back and say, no, there's no spiral fracture. No, there's no skull fracture. You, you can't even say that she had a skull fracture. You'd have to do this and this and this. They didn't do any of that. That tells us that they never even thought that she had a skull fracture because they would, which is what happened. They were accusing me of picking my daughter up by her feet and smashing her head off a coffee table. And supposedly I did that without leaving any bruises, scratches, or anything like that. We had pictures of her at the hospital. She didn't have any of those injuries that they, they said that she had. And so they said that if there was thought, they thought there was that type of trauma, they would do a CT scan or MRI. Came back completely in my favor. And, and even then, you know, the, they were still trying to adopt my kids out, and this foster lady was going to take my kids. <clears throat> and that's what happened in my life. Society was saying, lock them up, throw away the key. You know, let another man marry his wife and let someone else raise his kids. Amen. I was broken. And the lady's going to, they're going to adopt my kids. And I'm talking to my wife on the phone. And I was like, well, she's coming over Monday, right? And I was like, yeah. And, I, and she was like, yeah. And I was like, well, let me talk to her. Well, what are you going to say? And I was like, what does it matter what I'm going to say? They're going to take our kids anyway. I might as well let her have it. And so she comes and gets on the phone and I'm telling her and, 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 and she's like, what's going on? I tell her, look, this is what, this is what happened. And, 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 and I told her, I said, we're, we're, you knowingly and willingly submitted evidence that you know was false. And she's like, well, I don't know about that. I'm like, we've got the reports. It's dated. It's time. He wrote down the phone conversation. The doctor did. You know, it's either you or him at this point. You know, and it's going to be you. Trust me. And we've got the reports from the prosecutor's office. It's stamped when you submitted them. It says it came from you, stamped at this time. Where we come from in Indiana, that's called obstruction of justice. You can't knowingly and willingly submit bogus evidence like that and then try to use it to prosecute somebody. It's illegal. And I told her, we're trying to have the state police investigate this investigation. And I'm telling you, lady, I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but we're going to try to have you thrown in jail. Oh, well, I don't know about that. And I'm like, well, it's fine, whatever. But I appreciate your time. She gets off the phone. I told you know, the, the wife, I talked to her later. And then I did a call back two days later because they were getting ready to go to court to completely adopt my kids out. And she did the best she could. She wasn't using drugs. You know, she was doing all the parenting classes and all this stuff. And they were still trying to take our kids. And so she, she, I call her on Wednesday. Matt, you're not going to believe it. And I'm like, what? And she said, listen, two hours after you got off the phone with her, she called me back. Right after you got off the phone, she got up and left. Two hours after that, she called me back. And she said that they're completely closing the case. And I can have the kids back on Friday. So, hmm, 
You know, and, and I even took a polygraph and they said that I failed it. That lady told me I failed it. And later we got the reports and uh, all the records and stuff like that. I didn't fail it. I passed that thing. I mean, the, the stuff that I was going through, I know I, I say it over and over again, that type of stuff only happens on Law and Order SVU and, and crazy TV shows like that. But let me tell you something. The deliverance in my life, I mean, that type of stuff takes place in the Bible. I mean, that type of stuff takes place even today. You know why? Because he's a God who comes down. Amen. He's a God who hears our cry. He, he knows our sorrow. He knows the things by which we're afflicted. Amen. He is a deliverer. He is a savior. He does lead captivity captive. And he brought me out. It took two years. Amen. They tried to give me 40 years. Lock him up. Throw away the key. Let another man marry his wife. Let his kids be raised by someone else. But then God says, hold on a second. I'm not done yet. Amen. And he turned that whole thing around. And I walked out of that jail two years later. Don't tell me that God can't step into your situation. Don't tell me that he can't heal. Don't tell me he can't deliver. Don't tell me he can't bring you out. Don't tell me he won't. He will. That's who he is. That's how he reveals himself. Amen. He wants you to know it and the world too. That's what Hezekiah said. He said, God, we're surrounded, but so that the whole world will know. Don't you know what type of faith that is? God step into my situation, not just for me, not just for my family, amen, but so the whole world will know who you are. Amen, that's been my prayer. And then I get out and I go to church and man, y'all are crazy. Running the aisles and talking in tongues. And, <clears throat> and I did, I, I, you know, I, I felt fit right in. God filled me with the Holy Ghost. Drug addiction fled, hallelujah. Alcoholism fled. And then God calls me to Israel. And he tells me, you're going to be like Paul. You're going to go in and out of the Jewish community. And I, I, I'm giving you an international ministry. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. He said he was going to set me with the bishops. And I'm like, be it unto me according to thy word, oh God. I'm doing the whole Mary thing because I don't want to mess this up. Amen. Don't act like y'all don't do it too. You be quoting her too, Yeah. You want God to do something in your life, you better be, you better be quoting that and saying, be it unto me according to your word. Amen. So I ended up getting out and, and, and he did this stuff and, 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 and called me and I ended up going to church and telling all my friends what God said. Big mistake. And folks didn't really take that seriously and kind of made fun of me a bit. And, and the next thing I know, I hear that I said that I was an apostle. And somehow or another, I, I got to be one of the two witnesses. I didn't even know what a two witnesses was. I'm going to have the greatest revival Israel's ever known. I, wow. And so, you know, and, and, and the next thing I know, I'm going to pastor's office. I don't know about you, but I love going to pastor's office. We're drinking Diet Cokes. Don't listen, doc, Dr. Chuppy, you didn't hear that. We don't do. We're not supposed to be drinking Diet Cokes. Hallelujah. But I love going to pastor's office because... We're drinking Diet Cokes. We're going to Hacienda. We're going and, and, and talking about the great things of God. I love going to pastor's office on my terms, but I don't like going to pastor's office on his. And here he's called me in there and he's, and Matt, yeah, I hear you think you're an apostle. Here you're going to have the greatest revival in Israel the world's ever known. I hear you're one of the two witnesses. I know. 
cut him some slack. What would you do if you were a pastor and a blind guy comes in your church? He had a meth lab blow up on him and now he's been in church two months and he's saying he's called to Israel. <laughs> Poor pastor, right? But I tell him, you know, I'm talk, having the conversation. He's like, Matt, are you sure you're not using drugs? Are you sure? You've been fasting quite a bit lately. Are you sure you're not out there? Matt, are you sure you're not having a mental illness? And I, you know, I didn't know. I, 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 I didn't realize that I could have had a bad attitude. I, I hadn't been in church long enough to realize. I, but, you know, as we're going through it, I'm feeling, you know, a little bit hurt a little bit. And, you know, and I could have been like, you know what, Pastor? God's called me and I guess you can't see the anointing on my life. You're the blind guy in this situation. Could have had that attitude, but I didn't. You know, as I'm going through it, I'm just telling him, look, maybe I do have a mental illness. I'm not doing drugs. God delivered me, hallelujah. Not drinking, you know, maybe I'm fasting. Maybe I'm a little bit out there. Maybe I do have a mental illness, but if I do, will you help me? I need help. And, you know, maybe I'm messed up and we're having the conversation. And as we're having this conversation, it's very uncomfortable. You know, I finally begin to tell him, I was like, well, listen, here's the problem is that it was the same voice that was in the jail cell. He's like, well, what do you mean? And, 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 and I told him the same story I told you about God talking to me. And that was the first time that I ever had the opportunity to sit down and talk to pastor about my testimony. And I told him, I was like, listen, pastor, I don't know. But isn't that what God does? Doesn't he open the eyes of the blind? Doesn't he bring people out? Doesn't he call people, place a call of God? Isn't that possible? And as I'm having the conversation with him, you know, it, it, it really kind of turned the whole conversation around to where he was, he, it, it was a hurtful thing, but it really, it was not because it was, he was doing it because he cared, not because he was trying to hurt me. He was legitimately trying to make sure that I was okay. And I know sometimes things get a little crosswise sometimes. And, and if we're not careful, we'll let the enemy come in and, and really kind of pervert the way things are. I mean, I thank God for a pastor who loves us. Thank God for a man who's willing to have the conversation with us because he, he cares about us and he only wants what's best for us. And so we have this conversation. And, and as we go through and have it, he said, listen, Matt, he said, why don't we just see what God will do? And so we left from there and, and it, was, it was something that God had to do. And, and before I knew it, I went to IBC and I graduated from there. And God, you know, if I thought it was hard with my friends at church, you should have seen how hard it was for me at IBC. <laughs> I love Indiana Bible College. I'm standing great, you know, like there's no complaints. But sometimes the people around me just couldn't see what God was doing. And to be honest, I didn't know if I could see it either. And so when God told me to prepare for a PhD and I told all my friends there, I mean, it was, I, I was clearly wacko. And so as time went on, I, I did. I graduated from there and I went and, and got a master's of divinity. And then God said, it's time for you to go to Israel. And uh, uh, I, I did, I went. And when I did, I didn't have any money. <clears throat> 1800 bucks. Uh, I had an acceptance letter to a university and I had a word from God that said go. And I get over there and I, the missionary was there but they were not in the country, so it was just me. And I learned, I got a taxi from the airport to the hotel, learned my way around the hotel, and then I learned my way around the neighborhood. And then I got a taxi to the university, learned my way around the university. And then God did a miracle and ended up helping me out with an apartment one minute walk from the university. And so, you know, that, that's how I got settled in. I didn't have anybody helping me. And uh, other than the Lord. 
And I want to just tell you a story because as I, I'm at the hotel and, and I realize that I, I don't have my Braille display. And a Braille display is a device that connects to your computer. And uh, it, there's software that you can, you know, read and it will take it, that digital text on your computer and then con convert it into Braille on your Braille display. And so, you know, part of me getting an education was I needed to learn Greek and Hebrew. And so they didn't, you know, there was no way, there was no Braille for Greek and Hebrew. So we wrote software to be able to do it. And uh, it was pretty cool. We won a big award for it and, and all this other stuff. And that's one of the ways that I was able to actually get an education was um, because we wrote this, this software to be able to read these ancient languages. And so we ended up going to, 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 to Israel and I left my Braille display. And now I don't have my Braille display. I can't read. And I'm in Israel. I need to know Hebrew. I can't read it. And so I end up calling the, the, the superintendent of Israel. His name's Robert McFarland. And, uh, and I call him up and I'm like, Bishop, you know, I, I know you're in Indiana because he's from Indiana. And, uh, and I was like, I know you're coming over here. Will you swing by or let me send you my Braille display? And he's like, ah. And I'm like, well, if I don't have the Braille display, I'm not going to be able to go to school. And if I don't be able to go to school, I, don't, I mean, I might, I might as well go home. I was like, so will you bring it to me? I was like, I'll mail it to you. You don't even have to go off your porch. We'll, we'll have it delivered right to your house. And he's like, nah. No, I don't think so. I'm like, well, why not? He said, because God may be trying to do something here. And I'm thinking, well, if God's trying to do something here, let him do it. Amen. Bring the Braille display over here. Hallelujah. He's like, no, nah, God may be trying to do something here. And I'm like, are you serious? I thought he was joking. He's like, no, I'm serious. I'm not bringing that Braille display to you. And I'm like, well, why not? He said, I've told you three times. God may be trying to do something here. And, and, and what I heard him say, it's not what he said, but what I heard him say is, Matt, you missed it. You never should have came over here. And if you ain't got what you need to succeed, this is God telling you to go home. Go home now and save us all the trouble. That's what I heard him say. That's not what he said. But that's how the, the enemy comes in and, and works if we're not careful. And so I, I, I ended up calling the, the church secretary, Ruby, great friend of mine, so excited. She answered the phone. I've got your Braille display right here. And I'm like, hallelujah, will you send it to me overnight it? And we figured out it was going to cost $94 to overnight it. It's going to take three days. And I had $96 in my bank account. Hallelujah. So she's going to the post office. Thank you, Jesus. The bishop was right. God's doing something. You know? And so we're excited. She goes to the post office and she mails it out. She calls me up. Hallelujah. Praise be the name of the Lord. I sent it. You'll have it by Monday. Hallelujah. And we sent it even free matter for the blind. And I'm like, free matter for the blind? Are you kidding me? And she's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, free matter for the blind? That's the slowest way to ship it possible. It's free. And you can only do it domestically. You can't ship something free matter for the blind internationally. What did you do? You know, you got the record playing and you hear that scratch as it comes to a sudden stop. Yeah, that was my life. And she said this. She said, well, you're not very grateful. Click and hung up the phone on me. And I'm telling you, I respond. 
I responded emotionally. And if you didn't know, that's my diplomatic way of saying that I went through the roof. I was mad. And I don't know what you do when you get mad at someone at church, but I call pastor. Huh? Huh? And I called him up, oh, your secretary. We said, free matter for the pie, hallelujah. She said it free matter for the pie, she's destroying my life. What do you got going on? What type of ship do you run, pastor? You just let her do whatever she wants. I'm surprised you even get anything done. And you know what pastor did? He takes her side. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I can't even talk to you. Pastor, listen, I just, I'm really emotional right now. I gotta go. And so we hang up and then we start texting because at least I ain't gotta hear him. And then I made the mistake, you know how you could react and I accidentally, it was an accident, I promise, pastor. I accidentally hit the dislike button on there. <laughs> oh, you already know. Amen. I don't care if you dislike it. You know, and, and so we go back and forth for a couple hours texting, just furious. And he's like, you know, you ought to be more grateful and appreciative of what people are trying to do for you. And I'm like, you're right. Thank you, Jesus, for the secretary ruining my life. You did all this work to get me over here, and she messed it up in one fell swoop. Hallelujah, Lord. And I hear pastor saying, Matt, you're going to fail anyway. You might as well come home now. And I hear the secretary, we all told you not to go, dummy. How are you going to trust me when I'm the one told you not to go to begin with? Now, that's not what they said, but that's what I heard. And so I'm crying. <laughs> you cry like that? No, you guys are just little tears. No. Oh, God. Oh, I'm ruined. My life is over. Oh. I don't want to be friends with her no more. Ah. And you know what, Pastor? Just this was the last time. That was the last straw. I ain't going back to that church again. Uh, there's a witness in the house. Hallelujah. You've been there? And so I'm crying, God. And the Lord just kind of swoops in there and taps me on my shoulder. And he's like, you know, are you really going to walk away from everything and everybody? Are you really going to ruin that friendship over something that you don't understand? You're taking her side too. Ah! And so I'm going like, and it's hours going by and, and you know, like, and, and I began to think about that over something I didn't understand. And you know, and I'm like, okay, fine, God. I won't leave that church right away. And as I begin to just calm down a little bit, I begin to just, oh God, you've, you know what's going on. Somehow you can help me. And I go downstairs and I'm still emotional and I'm sitting outside on the bench and I'm crying and just, my, I, I have no idea what's gonna happen. As far as I know, I'm not getting this braille display and I, I, I what little bit of money I've gotta buy a plane ticket home now and I don't know what I'm gonna do. As I'm sitting out there on a the bench, some lady walks up to me and says, hey, can I pray for you? And I'm like, oh, 
shaking my head, yeah. And she says, now listen, if I start speaking in some weird language, don't be afraid. And tears, oh God, what are you doing? And she starts praying for me, starts speaking in tongues. And then she does that Pentecostal jerk. You know which one I'm talking about. And I'm thinking, oh God. And she said, you felt the call of God here, didn't you? And I'm like, yeah, I did. And she said, God has said, he's brought you here and there's nothing that's going to send you back. I'll cry. I just quit the church. Uh, I don't want to be your friend anymore. Uh, I don't even want pastor in my life anymore. And then God's showing up in mercy. I brought you here. And as I go through this thing here, you know, she reaches in her purse. I think it was her purse. And she pulls out, you know, 200 shekels, which is about $50. And when she gave that to me, I understood that this was the Lord. And, 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 and I'll explain that in a second. But as, I, as I, I'm crying there, and I'm like, okay, God, I really feel the presence of God. God's got my back. I don't know how this is going to work out. But God, you are not surprised by this. And so that was Saturday, and then Sunday comes and goes, and I'm texting Ruby, can I get the tracking number? I don't have the tracking number. And then she won't respond to my text at all. And the more she doesn't respond, I feel like, oh. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Because I'm upset, and I, you know, my de- method of dealing with the problem is just to leave or, or walk away. And, and somehow or another, I've got to maintain this relationship with someone that's not playing ball fair. She could have just sent me the tracking number and everything would have been okay. But she wouldn't even do that. And so Monday rolls around and that's when the Braille display was supposed to be in. It's about 2.30 or so in the afternoon. I get a text message from Ruby. There's the tracking number. Your Braille display is in Jerusalem. And I'm thinking, wow. How in the world did that happen? And we're going back and forth. I'm like, oh, Ruby, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I was ungrateful. You know, I'm sorry that it's free matter for the blind. I just, this is what, how it goes. Look, here's a link on the internet so you can understand what I'm thinking and all this other stuff. And she, I don't care about any of that. Don't you even want to know what happened? And I'm like, yeah, I do. So I FaceTime her and we're both crying. Matt, I've been here forever and I've been going to the post office and I got a friend who's working there and he's retiring. And I told him that this was a braille display for my friend who's blind in Israel and he needs to get this overnight. And the guy, you know what he did, Matt? He took that braille display and he marked it free matter for the blind and he stuck it in the overnight box. He wanted you to get your braille display and keep your money too. And I was like, whoo. And then, I'm, and then I look up and I notice my braille display got there before the bishop did. He was slow. Asking the bishop to do it would have been snail mail. And so he finally gets to Jerusalem. I'm able to actually go get the braille display for him. I had to wait longer for him than I had to wait for it to get there. And I had this big attitude. And you know what? The bishop was right. God was trying to do something. And I know we go through these circumstances that we really don't understand, right? But there's times, you know, even when it comes to dealing with leadership, pastor, and and even people in the church, amen, we ought to just be able to sit back and let God do what God wants to do. 
You know, and, and I understand we're feeling with calls and, and we have to go through processes. Thank God for processes. All these sacrifices, every sacrifice needs to be evaluated. And God has never taken anybody that I'm aware of that's ever been successful around the pastor. He's always brought him up and through. And so I thank God for good, godly, apostolic leadership that has the patience to deal with my stupidity. Amen. Because even with this thing here, you know, it was something that I didn't understand. All I knew is that it didn't work out the way that I thought it was going to. And because it didn't work out the way that I thought it was going to, I was ready just to walk away from friendships that were, were years old at that point. I was ready to walk away from a pastor who loved me and helped me, who helped me become a better man, who helped me become a better dad, who helped me become a minister at that point. You know, and I was willing to walk away from it over something that I didn't understand. And the bishop was right. God was trying to do something there. You know what he was trying to do? He was trying to show me that he's the one who called me. He's the one who's going to be providing for me. He's the one who's going to fight my battles. He's the one who's got my back. He's the one that brought me there, and he's going to be the one that keeps me there. And we've got to get to a place in our walk with God where we go and grow beyond, amen, the ability of other people to do what we think is the will of God in our life. And that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest thing that comes against us is other people doing things that we don't understand. And for crying out loud, I understand. You know, the people that, that, that I told my friends when I was telling them about the great things of God, I don't know why people respond that way. I wish that the call of God on our life was a conference call. God could eliminate all that hurt, couldn't he? He could eliminate all that trial. If he just said, hey, listen, Pete, hey, man, I've got a call on Matt's life. He's going to be in Israel one of these days. Don't be making fun of you when he comes to you tomorrow and tells you that he's called. I wish God would do that, but he doesn't. You know why? Because the call of God on our life is a very individual thing. Amen. God's got to show us. He's got to reveal himself to us. He's got to lead us and he's got to guide us. We got to learn how to be led by him. We got to learn how to be guided by him. Why? Because we have a responsibility to lead people into the presence of God, into the revelation of God. Amen. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so the bishop was right. God was trying to get me to a place where I would take my focus off of men and put my focus and my hope in him. Why? Because there's going to be situations in our life that men can't help with. There's going to be trials that we're going to go through that man can't do anything about. There's going to be circumstances and doors and mountains, amen, that are going to be in our way. But God is going to tell us, amen, we've got to go beyond that somehow, some way. And you know what? We need God to move the mountains. Amen. And so the bishop was right. God was trying to do something. He was trying to reveal himself in my life in a deeper way. And I needed it because there were all kinds of trials where people tried to send me home and I was attacked and, and I had all these things come against me. But God was saying, listen, you need to know that I've got your back. I called you here. Nothing's going to send you. Why? Because you're going to be facing these things and there's no one that's going to help you but me. And it was the greatest mercy that the bishop ever could have done was let God handle it. We don't respond that way. <clears throat> I'll tell you about that $50 real quick and, and then I'll be done. You know, when I got to church, when I first got to church, my first time going, I ran out of that jail and straight into that Pentecostal church. I got there and there's this little old lady met me at the door. First thing out of her mouth was like, wow, you're good looking. And I'm thinking, hallelujah. And she says, I just love young, good looking apostolic men. And I'm thinking, wow, that's a little weird. 
What's going on at this church? Come here. Give me a hug. Here, take this $50. Take these sweet people who brought you to church out to eat. And I was like, give you a hug for $50. I'll give you a kiss too. Uh Uh-huh. Well, don't act like you wouldn't do the same thing. Amen. So I go over there and I give her a hug. And she had that little smell. You know what I'm talking about? Some whiskers tickled my cheeks and stuff when I... Oh, your grandma don't got none of them? Okay. Hallelujah. Amen. And, and, and she's a sweet lady. And, and she didn't give me 50 bucks every week, but it was every other week. Maybe three times, a, a two or three times a month. And I always got to looking forward to seeing her. Even called her grandma. Oh, grandma, so good to see you. Oh, man, you're so good. Look, here's 50 bucks. Oh, thank you, grandma. I'll see you next week. Hallelujah. Let God use you. Amen. Bless God. Hey, I told you the church is amazing. <laughs> you better find you a grandma. Hallelujah. And so we go through this whole thing. And I don't know about what you do when you are broke. But I call grandma. But this time I had to, I called my real grandma. And I called my real grandma. She lives on Heaton Lake in, in Elkhart. And she's, she's passed now. And but I, but I called her up and I said, Grandma, I need some diapers. And we, we've only got a quarter of a can of formula. The baby's going to starve if you don't give us anybody. Can I come over and do some work? And she's like, yeah, you can come over and work. And I, I'm thinking, I'm going to go over there and boss folks around, you know, lean on my cane. I'm a really good delegator. And so I show up over there the next morning, bright and early. It's 8.30 and... You know, and I, she meets me at the door, and I'm surprised because she's got a, a bush trimmer in one hand and a folding chair in the other. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm not even going to have to stand here and boss folks around. Hallelujah. And so we go out to the backyard, and, and to my surprise, she hands me the bush trimmers, and she sits down in the folding chair. And she's like, all right, now there you go, trim that bush. And she sat there and watched me trim that bush. To the right, there you go. To the left, oh, watch your finger. Clip, clip, clip. To the right. No, you already cut that one. Can't you do anything right? You got a hole in your head. And sure enough, she made me trim three bushes, had to rake the whole yard. And the whole day goes by. She doesn't even crack a sweat. We go out to the front and we're, you know how it is. You got the sod and the gravel driveway. And she's got gravel that's into the sod. And she don't like that. Grandma wants things nice and neat. And so she's got me raking this, this gravel back into the driveway. And we spent like 15 minutes trying to get one rock. To the right. No, to the left. No, you just had it wide. To a little bit further. A little bit. And I'm like, Grandma, won't you just get out of the chair, come over here and kick the rock back into the, to the driveway so we can go in and get the spaghetti you said you was going to make for me. And she's like, well, you're the one who needs the money, not me. And so she sat out there and we spent this whole ordeal. And then finally we go in and, and I'm expecting a nice spaghetti meal. And it wasn't, you know what it was? It was one of those TV dinners. And she's over there throwing it in the microwave and it's getting late. She wants to go to bed. So she's trying to rush this TV dinner. Sets it down at the table and I stick it in my spaghetti and I've got a spaghetti popsicle. And don't you dare complain to grandma. And so she gives me the money that she paid me for the day. And my phone talked to me. I had a little app I could put it in front of the dollar bill. And it tells me, $5, $5. And I'm like, oh, no, this got to be wrong. I fold it and hold it over there. $5, $5. And I'm like, Grandma, there's got to be something wrong with my phone. 
It says here, this is only $5. And she said, there ain't nothing wrong with that phone. It's five bucks. And I'm like, $5, I've been working the whole day. This ain't the depression anymore, grandma. I, this ain't even gonna buy diapers. You know, I've, I can find every excuse to get as much money as I can out of grandma. And she's like, listen, $5 is what I pay. And I don't know about you, but I was responding emotionally. <laughs> and I'm mad about it. And I, you know, and, and I, I love grandma, but grandma, to be honest, has been, she's really kind of mean to me. You know, she's always bossing me around, telling me that the B wasn't good enough. I gotta have an A. You know, she's always wanting me to pull my pants up to my chest and want me to wear turtlenecks and stuff like that. I don't know if she's got me confused with Steve Jobs or something, but that wasn't for me. I don't do the turtlenecks and I'm not pulling my pants up so far. But she was always mean to me and telling me how, how worthless I was and this and that and how I needed to do something with my life and all this other stuff. And I'd gotten to a place where I was a little bit tired of that. And as I'm walking out of the garage door, I'm making a decision, I'm never gonna come back here. I don't know if you've had family who put you down so much that you're finally to a place where I'm done. And as I'm walking out the garage door and making that decision, I'm never coming back, the Lord speaks to me and he said, she only wants what's, what's best for you. And I'm like, oh. And the Lord began to minister to me that what she's trying to do, she's not trying to work me and take advantage of me. She's trying to work me so that I know that I'm capable of working. You know, and that's what she's, she'd always say. You don't have to be getting handouts. You can work. You can do something. And so what I didn't tell you, she's giving me all this stuff. You could go to school. You could do this. You, you don't have to. And here I am upset that I only got five bucks. Wasn't listening to anything that she said. But when she gave me the five bucks, it forced me to go back and think about what she said. And I don't know about you. I'm, now my heart's aching because God's convicted me. She only wants what's best for me. And here I am just getting ready to walk out from everything and, and walk away. And I can't do it. Oh, Grandma, I love you too. I'll see you next week. I'll get that bush like this. I'll do better next time. And as I'm crying out there, waiting for my ride to come pick me up. And, you know, I did. I heard the car go by and then somebody else comes and picks me up. And, you know, I may have been upset because I only got $5 from this grandma, but I was really excited later on that night when I, the thought crossed my mind that I'd be going to church tomorrow. And my other grandma's got 50 bucks. Hallelujah. Don't act like you wouldn't do the same thing. Don't judge me. I, I know better. I know, I know how people are. <laughs> so I make this decision. I'm going to church. And I get to church, I step off of the church bus, and there she is at the door. Grandma! Bah! Oh, I've missed you, Grandma. How was your week? Mwah, mwah, mwah. Matt, I'm here expecting to give me the 50 bucks. And she says, Matt, is Dolores Yoder your grandmother? And I was like, how in the world do you know that? Are you following me? And she said, well, of course I'm not following you. And I've been going to church there for eight or nine months. And this lady's been just blessing me and loving me. And then she tells me who she is. And she says, Matt, I'm Barb Ward. I live across the street from your grandmother. And I don't know if you caught it, but that was the lady that told my grandma all those years ago, tell your grandson, don't accept no plea bargain. 
God's going to do something in his life. And she'd been praying and fasting and interceding for me. And she knew that God had done something. She knew that I'd gotten out. She knew that I was going to church. But she had no idea that this was me. I didn't recognize her. And she didn't recognize me. But somehow or another, we developed this relationship that was very, 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 very close. And then I'm over at my grandma's house by this crazy circumstance out in the front yard yelling at my grandma about kicking this rock. And then there's a lady driving by coming home from getting groceries and she looks up and then bam, there I am. You know what she was doing? She was seeing the fruit of her intercession and God allowed her to see it. Don't tell me that God doesn't know how to do it. You know, she's praying and fasting for me and then God sends a couple of preachers from her church into the jail. Had no idea. We didn't know the whole church when the, when, when pastor and everybody else found, they were just blown away by what, what, what God had done. So I know that God's got our back. I want to read a couple of verses for you and I'll be done. Psalm 144. Psalm 144, verse 3. Stand with me if you would. Psalms 144, verse 3. It says this, what is man that thou takest knowledge of him or the son of man that thou makest an account of him? Now, I love that because the promise is unto you and to your children. And he's recognizing what God wants to do. My favorite verse in the Bible is, is when he's God saying, I know Abraham that he'll raise his household after me that I will be able to do or bring upon all upon the house of Abraham that I promised him. And it puts on, on Abraham's responsibility. He's got to raise his household after him. I love that, that God isn't just thinking about us, but he's thinking uh, generations. What is man that thou, son of man, that thou make an account of him? Verse four, man is like in vanity. His days are like a shadow which passes away. Bow thy heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains and they'll smoke. So it isn't just Isaiah. This idea of asking God to come down isn't a fluke. And it's, it's, this is what people did. People understand who God is. They know and they're asking him to come down and touch these mountains. And he's saying, I've got some impossible things here, God, but would you come down? Will you help me? Verse six, cast forth lightning and they will scatter them. Shoot down thine arrows and destroy them. Send thine hand from above. Rid me and deliver me out of great waters from the hand of strange children. Verse eight, whose mouth speaketh vanity and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. You know, this is the psalmist, his great in power. And you know what he's doing? He's crying out to God. Why? Because somebody's hurt him over some things that they said. Whose right hand, you ever faced any type of injustice? The right hand is a right hand of falsehood. That's what that is. People that are hurting him, people that are going through and suffering injustice, you know what their response is? They're asking God to come down and touch it. Verse 9, I will sing a new song unto thee, O Lord. Upon a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings will I sing praises unto you. He's saying, God, come down and I'm going to worship you for it. Put a song in my mouth. I'll give you honor and praise. 
And he goes and continues. Verse 10, it is he who giveth salvation unto kings. Who? God. God is the one who gives salvation. Who delivered David, his servant, from a hurtful sword. Verse, uh, next verse, rid me and deliver me from the hand of strange children whose mouth speaketh vanity and their right hand is the right hand of falsehood. He's saying it again, you know why? Because he's hurting and he's devastating and he knows that the only one that can help him is the Lord. Verse 12, he says, come down, help me and deliver me. Why? He says that our sons might be as plants grown up, that our daughters might be as cornerstones polished at the similitude of a palace. You know what he's saying? He's saying, God, you've got to come down. You've got to step into the situation. Why? Because my kids are watching. If I'm, they're watching me cry out to you, and I need you, there's no one else that can help. And God, I'm, I'm crying out to you, and I'm asking you to come down, and they watch you not show up, how are they going to have faith in you? How are they going to believe in you? And he's saying, God, I need you to come down. I need you to deliver me. I'm hurting. I'm broken. Everyone knows it. Step down into my situation. Why? Because my sons are going to see it. They're going to watch you, that you're God who answers. Amen. And because of that, they're going to be strong, grown up like plants that are strong. And our daughters, they're going to be as cornerstones, God. Amen. Like polished, like the similitude of a, of a palace. And he's asking God to come down. My kids are watching. Verse 13 that our garners might be full, affording all manner of storehouse, that our sheep might bring forth thousands upon thousands in our streets. Verse, uh, verse 14, that our oxen might be strong to, neighbor, to labor, that there be no breaking in nor going out, that there be no complaining in our streets. You know what he's saying? God, I need you to bless my community. God, reveal yourself. In all of these ways, why? That there be no complaining in the streets. Verse 15, happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You remember that? The God who stepped into time and space. Come down. Come down. My testimony is... In, in the revelation that I've got in my life, it's full of miracles. We could be here all night. I'm sorry it's been so long. But the only reason why that I'm even here is because God's come down. Hey, man, God's spoken something over my life, and he's brought it to pass. And all over this place, I'm, I'm talking to people. I know it's a little bit late, but why don't we turn this place into a prayer room? Amen. What has God ever spoken to you? Has he ever talked to you? Has he ever made a promise? Amen. What type of things have come into your life? What kind of hurtful situations? Amen. Maybe attitudes, maybe circumstances. Amen. I've been, my whole life has been full of them. Amen. You know what you got to do when you get to a place when, when people don't respond the way that you want, that you expect them to. And when people don't believe in you the way that they, you would hope that they would, you got to get to a place where you say, God, this is what they say, but what do you say? Amen. With circumstances that would try to stop you and try to hold you back. Things that you don't understand. You want me to tell you how to overcome those circumstances? God, this is what the circumstances say, but what do you say? Amen. Come down. Will you step into this situation? Will you help us? What is man that thou art mindful and the son of man? God, this isn't just for me. Your plan is for my children and my children's children. Amen. I've been following you. I'm, I'm being faithful to you. And God, I need you to come down and touch this situation. I know that man's going for the dialysis. God, won't you come down and touch it and heal it? In the name of Jesus. And that he can do it. We got kids that are watching. 
We've got a church that is watching. Amen. We need you to come in, God, and, and step into this thing, God. We, we want our storehouses. We, we need you to help with our, we need you to touch everything that's around us. Why? Our community is watching. We're saying there's only one God. We're saying that he comes down. We say that, that he's a deliverer. He's a healer. He's a protector. God, we need you to come down and step into our life and to our family and to our, our community. Why? Because you are God. Our families are watching. Our children are watching. Our communities are watching. Come on all over this place. Come on, you've got a call of God on your life and maybe you've got your heels dug in. But God's not done yet. You may have made some mistakes, but God's not done yet. Come on, ask God to come down. Every high eye bow, or closed and every head bowed. Come on, let's just talk to God for a minute. Amen. If you don't have a relationship, if you've never experienced God coming down in your life and filling you with this spirit, you can experience that today. You can come into this revelation. You can, you can walk and be in covenant with Almighty God. Ask God to come down. You're tired of your life. You're tired of your